Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, it's Brendan here with Mark on location again in Northern Territory, Darwin, Northern Territory, Australia and this is part two of our on the road recording, Mark, isn't it? Um, And here we are sat, a bit bizarre isn't it? This is the last night um, before we we separate, Um, the bromance um, is uh, by long distance after this, back to long distance again um, because I'll be jumping on a red eye flight leaving at 1.15am <laughs> from Darwin heading back towards Melbourne and I think I arrive in Melbourne, Touchwood, depending on the flight and uh, the difficulties with, with staffing and baggage handling etc. Um, I think I arrive at 5.30am mark so how's that for a flight, leaving 1.15am and arriving at 5.30am but then I'll have the whole day ahead of me, won't I, um, when I arrive back in cold Melbourne. So it's been a fantastic trip up here to Darwin and catching up with you, Mark. And before we jump into our main topic, I want to... I've gained an insight into you, Mark, um, during this trip, and that is you've educated me and my eyes have been exposed to the world of twitching. So... Um, we're going to have a little chat. I know you've maybe been embarrassed about this, but we're going to have a little <laughs> chat about you taking me out and um, converting me, or trying to convert me to a to a um, bird photographer and to do a bit of twitching where you where you search for species of birds, especially ones that are hard to find or, or detect or, or, or endangered um, species or birds that are only found in certain areas. And um, you know, it's a bit like a, it's a bit like Pokemon, isn't it? I reckon. Um, the I think po- there's a lot of analogies, yeah. and and um, I've, I've heard um, I've heard the the phrase that uh, uh, bird watching, bird photography is just um, uh, hunting for vegans. Um, that um, that it, that uh, uh, like you said, um, it's a whole different subculture. But um, we have had, and it's funny, you know, because you you think. I might be a little bit embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed at all. I love taking you out, and and uh, and, um, and it's an excuse to go wandering in um, wild, unusual places. Uh, and um, and yeah, the the process of trying to locate these birds is a multi-layered one. And the other thing that fa- always fascinates me about it is the other people that you see. Uh, in the in the process, um, and we had that experience today when we went out. So, so yeah, I think there's. We're all weird, Mark. We're all weird. <laughs> well, it was interesting. I had a great time. I had a great time. Well, we'll let's let's work backwards. Yeah. So the 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 uh, this afternoon you you were started, very excited. It started a long time before this afternoon, Brendan. You were very excited to. Um, to try and hunt and, and take some pics of a particular species of finch, so I'll get you to chat about that in a sec. And we were fortunate enough to see, well, so we saw lots of them, so you know, I don't think they're particularly hard to find these. I don't know what everybody's on about. Um, and I even managed to snap a few photos of them as well. And uh, 
there was certainly some very keen twitches out there, Mark. Um, when we arrived there, I saw off in the distance some very long lenses and uh, some people in funny hats, and I thought, yeah, they'll be um, bird watchers, and they certainly were. And uh, we met up with a few of them and uh, wandered around the, the scrub um, where this species of finch was supposedly um, hanging around. And um, I must admit, I had a good time. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, and we wow, weird. It, it's amazing how fast the time flies when something like that. So I, I can see the, I can see the appeal of it. Um, it gets you out and about, and rather than sitting, you know, on your iPad and watching Netflix or something at home, and it gives you a reason to get out and, and do something. And and also it marries, I think, with you and, and, and with me. It marries sort of a bit of technical things and and, and electronics and, and um, you know a bit of a gadget, you know, and, and playing around with with. Um, your photography and, and, and then post editing of, of, of the pictures and and playing around and, and trying to obtain particular RT shots or or you know cropping your photos and adjusting them and uh, yeah it's a it's a bit of a time waster isn't it but it sucks up it all that but it's fun and it's a it's a you know it's a hobby and it's um, you know it's uh, yeah it was fascinating so do you want to talk about um, yeah, that particular field trip, the, the one we did this afternoon, well, the and, interest- and talk about the finches, yeah. For sure. The, the other thing I think that, that uh, before we talk about our specific experiences is that um, we weren't, we certainly weren't the only ones from the conference who um, took the time to head up to Lee Point and look for the birds. It was, there was um, at least, I think... Uh, uh, Alex Rosenwax uh, gave us some tips about uh, where where to find the birds after he had seen them, and and I think also uh, maybe uh, uh, Hamish Barron was at least keen to get up and see them. And while we we're out there, um, uh, we spoke to Ian um, from Canley Heights Veterinary Hospital, who was um, who was poking around in the bush as well. So it wasn't just. Uh, the you know the people at the conference were out there as well, but that particular spot was um, you and I had gone out trying to locate it earlier, and we we were you know I, my initial intel was well off the mark, and we wandered off in a completely different direction. But once Alex had clued us in, uh, we zoned into the location, and um, and geez, there were a lot of different species of birds there. Uh, a lot of finches, um, some finches I've never seen before in the wild, um, and in particular was the um, the flock of Gouldian's finches, wild Gouldian finches, um, and these birds are, are not regularly seen in the Darwin City area. Um, in fact, uh, it, it's only been intermittent small flocks that have appeared over the last 30 years, and so. Uh, you and I had the pleasure of looking at uh, flocks of 80 or 90 birds this afternoon, um, and um, and yeah, they were in beautiful light. Um, they came down to eat at the grass, and uh, and I saw you get some cracking photos with your camera. So yeah, great afternoon. You'll have to tell me about the etiquette of um, birding <laughs> because when uh, I was fascinated, I spent probably half my time looking at all the other people taking the pictures and, and the way they interacted or not because I know at one stage when when it would just get into that point where we um, 
I think managed to get some decent photos. Uh, there was a, another group that wandered up uh, uh, and one particular person um, shouted out in a, in a loud voice in front of everyone, oh my god they're gorgeous and and uh, I think half the flock flew away after that and, and was scrunching around in, in the undergrowth and um, I thought that wouldn't be very good etiquette and, okay. and what's what's the unwritten rules for, for twitching if, if, or for photographing birds if there's somebody sort of in front of you you obviously don't jump in front of them do, do you do, do, do they share, um, you know, the, the the bird that they manage to spy, or do you tend to keep it to yourself? You know, what, what's what's the whole structure of that? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I think it's. I think the basic uh, thing for me is common courtesy. So if someone's uh, in front of you, then uh, push them over. <laughs> Um, so it's a little bit like you know golf or uh, uh, um, surfing or you know if someone gets the lead um, they in like in surfing where if someone gets the wave they get the, the chance to ride it and everyone else bails out I think it's a little bit the same that if someone's on to a bird uh, you don't uh, trudge up in the crunchy grass behind them to get uh, the same shot uh, let them uh, get the image and um, maybe just gently drift back or try to make no noise, try not to disturb the birds. Um, but yeah, there's, it's the same It's the same whatever endeavour you have. There's always going to be someone who um, is so excited, who is so desperately um, excited by the whole process that they uh, make a little bit of extra noise and potentially change the circumstances. I know when we were... That, that literally happened to us today. The, the birds were were feeding a little way down the, the, the grassy area um, and people were getting closer and closer and sort of weaving in between each other and the birds all took off and you and I had stood back about 40 metres away from everyone else and the birds just lobbed in the grass in front of us and yeah. all of a sudden we had the grandstand view. So so I think, um, you know, karma also applies to... If, you do, if you're courteous and patient, you, you, you may not get a shot. Maybe only one person does, but... Um, that's the nature of the chance you take and, uh, and often if you are courteous and wait um, the birds will come to you is my experience and certainly they uh, we got wonderful views today didn't we? Yes and I must admit I, I, I don't think I appreciate the um, how special it was to uh, manage to see these particular birds Mark because it's probably only the third or fourth time I've gone out to with you to try and um, search for some birds to take pictures of and uh, yeah it's not that hard is it taking <laughs> these um, pictures of these, of rare, these and um, rare and endangered birds I don't know what, what you're on about um, so briefly before we jump again briefly which will probably last for 10 minutes um, do you want to talk about a couple of the other expeditions you took me out on one was at the Territory Wildlife Park and there was a a bird that um, another bird that you was struggling to get a picture of and yet we happened to near the end of our little trek in in one area of the uh, park one of these birds jumped down right in front of us didn't it well it was a bit a bit of a, a paradox in that the bird in question the rainbow pitter um, was on display at the at the um, at the territory wildlife park um, and, and and while 
I prefer to find them in the wild. It was a pleasure to see that bird in its uh, aviary. But, yep, as we're leaving, one of the rainbow pitters pops out of a, a, a little copse of fig trees and started dancing around. We got some photographs of it. But then, of course, and, and as you said, I've been trying to get decent images of, uh, of rainbow pitter for quite a few years. Um, uh, how I think I've been to Darwin, this will be the third or fourth time, and um, and uh, and really, this is the first time I've got good views of them. Um, I think you're a lucky omen, to be honest. Every time I seem to take you anywhere, the uh, the birds seem to just pop out of the forest. And sure enough, we get an excellent session with the first rainbow pitter, um, and then we head around to the beach at Lee Point, wander around there, and blow me down if another one doesn't just jump out in the middle of the park in perfect white and dance across in front of us. Yeah, I think that one almost. I almost stood on it, it was so close to its mark, that was, um, I, I was surprised at that. Um, now, it's not all fun and games though, is it? Now, you need to, I need to debrief about the, the other expedition you took me out to at the, the Botanic Gardens in, in search of a... The Rufus Owl. Of an owl that um, apparently is there, but gee, my neck is still sore, Mark. Um, I think we spent about two hours looking up in these trees um, on a very hot and humid day in northern Australia and well actually we did end up taking getting some good pics of another species but um, there was no owl to be seen so how often does that happen and, and um, you know, do you get annoyed at that or do you take it in your stride and think no the whole aim is to get out there and out and about and if you happen to see the species great if not bad luck I'm pretty, I'm pretty philosophical about it. I, th I do think that um, the, the actual finding the animal and getting good images of it is the icing on the cake, and the actual cake is getting out and um, being in a natural place and learning about it and, and, uh, and getting a perspective on it. So, so, yeah, there are definitely, well, much more for me than you proportionate, I think. Um, many times I've been out looking for a particular species and uh, and um, haven't come up with the clutch uh, shot, the, the magic photo. Um, but um, but I always think of it as a learning experience. Each time I learn a little bit more, and and usually, as was the case that time, um, if your mind is open and not just purely set on the target species. It's surprising how often you find, um, you know, other things to look at. Uh, so, yeah, I had an outstanding time that day, even though we were... And you know the irony of that? You and I spent two hours looking for the Rufus Owl in the Botanic Gardens, and then we had a talk to our good friend Stephen Cutter, um, whose wife is a, a, uh, um, a wildlife carer who rears bats. Um, and, uh, of course, bats being one of the prime food sources of Rufus Owl, um, uh, Stephen's partner is out there each night with a bright torch and a, a broom to hunt the rufous owls off the top of the bat enclosure. So we could have seen one. Yes, if we had known that, would have, my neck would be a little bit less sore, Mark. Yeah. So it's all about the journey. I get it. I get it. And um, <laughs> yeah, um, it gives you a different perspective. We're going for a walk in the bush, and it's not just trying to get from A to B. It's to spend a bit of time slowing down and looking around and hopefully seeing a, a photogenic bird or, or other species and, and we didn't see 
any reptiles, did we? We were, I was disappointed. It has been, despite the temperature here at the moment, um, it ha- there has not been a large, in fact, I've, I've only seen a couple of um, uh, garden skinks and uh, the Asian house geckos. Outside of that, it's been a little bit of a dearth of um, reptile species. So, And I was too scared to jump down and take the picture of that those crabs, Mark, in case, because it was a... And there there was probably a few crocs, um, so yeah, probably would have been a silly thing to do. So there we go, that's um, Twitching 101, uh, but we um, better move on to our main topic, Mark, which is one of the, it was the last session of the uh, Unusual Pet and Avian Veterinarians Group Conference here up in Darwin, and that was a round table discussion on euthanasia of unusual and exotic pets, wasn't it? It was, Brendan, and and I look forward to uh, these roundtable discussions for a number of reasons. First of all, the topic of euthanasia is one that um, that I think it's very, very good for us to continually talk about. I know from my work on the veterinary board that um, issues associated with euthanasia are frequently um, a, a problem for clients, and they may end up at the point where there's complaints and so um, an open discussion uh, between veterinarians about the way this is done and the reasons for doing it um, I think is an outstanding thing Um, and yeah I think um, all those people at the round table discussion um, you know I take my hat off to them they're all people I look up to and respect leaders of our our profession and uh, their candour um, and um, good communication skills made it an outstanding, uh, an outstanding roundtable discussion. Very well hosted by um, Tristan. Um, so hats off to Tristan there. And yeah, it did cover, although certain sections in in much more detail, but it did cover the three sort of facets of it: the the um, discussion with the client about the euthanasia process and, and prepping them for the fact that uh, your animal needs to be euthanized and, and uh, that we're, this is the way we're going to do it and then a, a very deep and um, topical discussion on the euthanasia techniques um, for various groups of species which we'll get into and then dealing with uh, the body afterwards and um, some of the difficulties there and um, um, making things as, as um, as good as we can for the client in, in resolution of their um, their um, much loved animal mark. So, um, what? Let's just start. Well, let's just go through those three bits there. Um, let's talk about um, the process of um, getting the client ready, Mark, um, and what do we what do we need to do? Um, it's, what's the important factors and cut? What did you come away from that discussion about um, getting the client ready for things? Well, I think the first thing is uh, that communication was held out as a you know, major priority, and um, and it is difficult, of course, in the the, uh, the, the particularly post-COVID world where um, there's just not enough time or staff to do anything. That this is one thing one of those moments of truth in veterinary practice where taking the time and communicating exceptionally well, managing expectations 
uh, all these things contribute to uh, an outstanding outcome and there's no doubt too that um, euthanasia is one of those times when the, the, the bond can be built for a lifetime with a client if they this is a moment in their life that you know that there are few others like um, and whatever happens uh, it will be seared into their memory and if we can manage to do it in a way that uh, that makes them feel good about the process um, then obviously they will be strongly bonded to the practice and all that communication discussion was uh, canvassed widely and and I think there's pretty universal um, uh, understanding about that and it was interesting to me how that there were there was space in that communication process for individuality that um, certainly the same outcome could be gotten uh, by different vets, by different um, manners of communication. Um, and so I think the key for me was the, the sincerity of the communication and the accuracy of, the, of managing the, the expectations. And it's, I think, the second, th the second thing that I always um, really harp on or, or, or concentrate on it is preparation marking, preparing the client um, and walking them through the process of what's about to happen and, and it, to me it makes a, a great deal of difference with the client then um, being comfortable with that whole process when you've already mentioned this is what we're going to do A, B, C, D and, and explain the whole process from from go to woe um, and then when that process occurs there's no surprises um, hopefully there isn't if things go to plan sometimes um, they don't and uh, I think it's all part of the um, making it a, a gentle a gentle death for their much loved pet there so yeah and there was there was different approaches to that but I think there was universal agreement with the the, the concept of um, you know, being respectful to the client um, walking them through the process and then performing the actual euthanasia and, and perhaps even chatting about the and we've mentioned this before in our podcast um, sorting out you know, what we're going to do with the body afterwards um, even before we started that process sometimes that's a good way to to do it with some clients especially if it's a pre-prepared um, euthanasia that we know is going to happen um, and everybody's ready to go and that it's one less thing for the client to worry about on the actual day or the time of the euthanasia mark but I think the meat of the actual round table discussion was the euthanasia techniques um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and also a little bit of a robust discussion and, and not um, very engaged audience with it so it's fantastic um, and yeah I thought it was a, a great um, a great little session there Mark so where do you want to kick off with that? Well I think uh, the, I really felt it was very important for us uh, you know this is the, the podcast that we have is a forum for our opinions so I wanted to just uh, prefix pre preface what I'm about to say um, with that uh, in mind, that this is our opinion, um, we the it did uh, so that I suppose the key issue, the controversial point of the discussion, was the concept of intramuscular use of uh, pentobarbital, 
Um, uh, and there are an increasing number of reports of the use of, uh, of euthanasia solution um, to using it intramuscularly and those reports are often associated with um, quite, uh, what's the right way to put it Brennan, that the, the, that process somehow uh, allows for a gentler and more acceptable slow um, um, uh, death in the patient. Um, but I know both you and I well, we bristled a little bit because um, uh, we, we still feel that there are some issues with that process. And I think we were outliers in the room, Mark, um, because there were, uh, um, I think the majority were reasonably comfortable with the process of, of uh, euthanizing the um, birds um, via intramuscular lethobarb or pentobarbitone. Um, but and my, I mean, my take on it, and I and I did speak up at one stage, Mark, is that um, the debate was that um, the birds seemed to um, not react as a general rule um, to the intramuscular injection, and that then the process of them then dying is is, is fairly quick after that, and therefore that it is a, a valid and. Um, um, useful way to um, consider euthanizing an animal. My, my concerns were, and I think you're, you as well, is probably two or threefold. One, one is that we know that these solutions are extremely alkaline and, and then by definition they will cause tissue irritation or toxicity. Um, and I, I, my personal belief um, based on that, and I, and I think there's a scientific valid basis for it too is that it, it, it is unlikely or to, to not cause pain um, um, it, it almost certainly would be um, an irritant as it goes in there and, and the fact that the bird may or may not react or, or, or doesn't appear to react doesn't mean that it isn't painful um, and there may be several processes that, that, that happen there whether it's a sort of preservation reflex or whatever or just sitting there stunned or whatever but you know, the way I look at it I flipped it around the other way and, and, and my thoughts are that you know if we we can debate and we did have a bit of a debate about this aspect with with the roundtable discussion but we can avoid the, the controversy at all just by sedating or anaesthetising the animal first before we give that IM or not give it IM if you, is another alternative um, and to my mind um, I, I, I don't give the IM injections as a method to euthanize the birds um, at, at all um, or if I was going to I would be sedating or anaesthetizing the bird first and that way I know that the bird is sedated or anaesthetized when it does have that intramuscular injection so it won't be painful. It cannot be painful because it's already heavily sedated or anaesthetised or it has pain relief on board. Um, so that's sort of my spin on it, Mark, and, and, and I know that others um, probably don't agree with that and they, 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 they um, believe and they, you know, they I'm probably be proved wrong, wrong perhaps in, um, um, in that whole process there. but. Um, well, yeah. I think the, the thing I would say to you about it is that um, 
is that we don't have hard and fast uh, information. And it, it is a really difficult area to get great uh, scientific data in that in that period between the administration, whether it's um, whatever happens, however it's given, how does the animal feel? Well, it is probably, you know, it's only literally uh, um, a second or two, uh, a heartbeat or two if it goes intravenously. Um, it's, uh, I, I understand from having spoken to other people, it's um, maybe half a minute to several minutes for an intramuscular injection before um, the animal has passed. And, and we don't know what they feel, and, and it is there is no scientific data there. Um, it is a lot of, um, it looks like to, uh, to us this is not a problem. It doesn't appear to be a problem, but we literally don't know. Um, but what we do know is just exactly what you said. The solutions are highly alkaline, and uh, they would be irritating on injection. Um, and, um, and I think you solve the problem by anaesthetising the animal before you give the injection. And once they're anaesthetised, there's a proportion of those animals that you can give intravenous injections that you couldn't while they were conscious. Um, so I think, uh, I know there's, um, uh, uh, the UPAV itself has had literature on uh, the best way to uh, generically process a euthanasia and the three-step process uh, as uh, published by yourself and Robert Johnston. Um, it, it's a well-reviewed um, and, and respected process um, and I think it's the one that, uh, that I'd be sticking to as well. And we might get some fan mail or not <laughs> um, from those comments. But, um, I mean, that's the whole aim of a roundtable discussion. And, um, you know, there's um, all of those vets in the room um, are, are colleagues and, you know, I respect their opinions. And it certainly makes me, I don't know, what ha happens when you um, head out of a room like that or, or a discussion where um, something's presented that's different to what you consider normal practice or, 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 or introduces a, a, a different technique or method but I, I always you know spend several days or weeks mulling over yes. the comments from the, the colleagues and I think actually you know they've got a point with this or that and, and um, so uh, you know it's certainly not something I ever I never whether it's this topic or another one that I just sort of flippantly you know um, dismiss out of hand I hope that you know, everybody's open to, to new thoughts and processes and, and that's the whole aim of something like this round table and that's why they're so valuable um, we, we hear from hear what other people are doing and that and then um, you learn techniques that that um, you end up adopting Mark I mean one of the other papers in, in the conference was the, the summary of comparing castration techniques in, in small mammals and um, intra-abdominal castration versus scrotal or pre-scrotal and now I've completely changed the way I approach um, desexions, those castrations, as a result of such a such a you know discussion and, and, and papers and, and colleagues um, starting to do it, and then then I've jumped on the bandwagon. I certainly wasn't the first to do it, so yeah. So we welcome. We 
Let me welcome, whoops, somebody's just dropped a plate, you may have heard there in the in the hotel lobby. Um, we welcome um, any comments from our listeners, vetgurus at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear your, hear your comments on, on this or any other topics. You know, let us know, do you perform intramuscular um, euthanasia of, of birds without any, any other pre-med or, or, or sedation or anaesthesia? And, and how well does it work for you? And um, are there other techniques that you recommend? And that, and that was a good discussion on... You know, we could, it was a very good round table about um, you know, if, if um, sedating or anaesthetising animals, not just the birds, um, before we euthanise them and, and what, what techniques work. Even mention of things like intra, intranasal sedatives, etc. Um, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a great round table and it certainly got me thinking, Mark, what about you? Definitely, and, and you highlighted it, Brendan, that the, um, I, I certainly get a lot of um, joy out of uh, listening to presentations where I feel that's consistent with, um, with the practice that, uh, that I perform. But I, I tell you what, the ones where it's, like you said, it's not the way that, um, that I do something forces me to reflect on it, forces me to think about the evidence... Um, and I know, you know, if, if I'd be, once evidence is presented to me that um, satisfies my concerns, um, I hope I'm um, big enough to admit that, um, that I was, uh, that, I, that it's time for me to change. So, yeah, I look forward to items of research. Um, I look forward to the process. Um, and uh, anyone who's uh, listening to us who has information or uh, even if it's anecdotal about the way they do things, you know we're keen to listen to it. So uh, I look forward to you sending it to us. Absolutely. And we were lucky enough to snaffle a few of our colleagues, Mark, weren't we, that we said we would uh, record podcasts with them and we'd, we'd, talk, we'd do the life story of, of, of a few veterinarians that we managed to catch up with during this conference so look forward to presenting those podcasts to a couple of specials there, two or three specials of some very special people Mark, so that will be fantastic and thanks for listening and we will talk to you all next week Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.